Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash wondery and use code wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 731. At midnight is on at 11 o'clock. For the next couple of weeks. That's really confusing. I shut up. At Here's 11. Me. No, it's at midnight. At, at 11 o'clock. At 11 night. Ooh, at 11, at 11 night. night. Ooh, hashtag at 11 night. No, it's not 11 night. <laughs> it is at midnight, still at 11. We're going to be back on at, We're going to be back at midnight as soon as Trevor Noah takes over the Daily Show in a couple weeks. But we're doing a week in a couple weeks called Bunches of Funches. <laughs> Ron Funches will going. be on every yeah! day. Yeah! Oh, they got all our letters. That's in two weeks. Yeah, like in a week and Dear a half. Dear at from midnight. Now. Yeah. Anytime you don't have Ron Funches on, I think, where's Ron Funches? <laughs> Is he behind the desk? Is he going to be in the audience as there? a plant? I know. When people, that would be great. Did he get lost? You know, sometimes when I'll go on the road and I'll talk to people in the audience and they'll go, where's Ron Funches? I'm like, I don't carry him around in a Bjorn. Like, well, I don't know where he is. He's a grown up. What he's if off, you did? He's off doing his own. He's Your doing life his own would be thing. hilarious. I guess it would be. It's like a fun buddy cop movie it where would. neither of you are cops. Nope. But uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to do that. I think we might do a 90s themed episode too Ooh. coming up. So we're, we got some fun stuff on the At Midnight program. Uh, but what do you guys have in the Nerdist Community Corkboard? The LA Podfest is coming up next weekend. It's in Beverly Hills at the Sofitel Hotel, September 18th through the 20th. And we have a bunch of shows there. We have Thrilling Adventure Hour, Dining with Doug and Karen, Indoor Kids, and the Todd Glass Show. And you can find out info and get tickets at LAPodfest.com. Yes, unfortunately, I will not be attending, but because fortunately, I'll be performing in Texas. I think I'm going to try to go this year. I keep uh, saying it's I'm going to so go. so much fun. And, and the saddest thing is I think the reason I'm going to go is because I want to see the giant bomb guys do something live because they're the best. <laughs> what do you got on the corkboard? I've now? got a, a, a fella sent in. His name's uh, Colby Wells. And he started an Instagram called alliteration underscore nation. And it's all single image pieces that are alliterative words that also teach you speech therapy and build your vocabulary. Well, you know, my problem with that is that it sounds like using Instagram for something constructive. Yeah, it's and like I, I just want pictures of, you know, like uh, <laughs> what if I were to tell you he put filters over them? Would that make it OK? Okay, which ones? Uh, all your favorites. All your favorites. Well done. <laughs> You're pro Levine. <laughs> you have, have, you, have, you, have you followed Socality Barbie? I have not. It's fucking great. Someone basically, it's a, it's a, it's the opposite of that, but it's, but it's a satire. Okay? But it's someone that has pictures of, it's Barbie and all these Instagram pictures, but it's, it's the amalgam of every annoying Instagram ever. So it's just like, you know, her and it's Barbie in front of like salt and straw ice cream saying like living my authentic life. And there's like 50 hashtags. So it's Socality Barbie. It's, it's my, uh, my brother whose Instagram I don't know because I'm not good at Instagram. Just as pictures of our dog and princess coffee cups at our house. That's all his Instagram is. It's just different pictures. And then on Fridays, it's name? both. I think it's at Fink Fink Santiago. But oh, it's Casey Clark. Name? K-A-S-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K. All right. So you can search there. Look for the one with all the, the princess mugs and dogs. Yeah. What are you what are you reading? The Socality Barbie. It's amazing. <laughs> she's the worst. Which one do you have? Uh, I pulled I saw one up where she's like. cap uh, while hiking. Yeah, she's like, like in that. the woods and went for a walk in the woods this morning. Couldn't resist the urge to put plant life in front of my face. And then oh, seriously. I'm so like, full of hate. <laughs> hashtag live folk. Hashtag no, kin folk. I hashtag won't. let's go somewhere. <laughs> hashtag get outside. Don't go somewhere. Hashtag No. <laughs> God, this is really like everyone I hate in the world. It's really funny. It's real. Like they've done such a good. Whoever's doing it has done such an amazing job. Of the authenticity of it is spot on. Uh, uh, well, those people should follow alliteration underscore nation to uh, do some good for the Instagram and learn stuff. 
Of course I will, Kyle and your brother Casey. <laughs> this episode is Ed Zwick and Tobey Maguire. They're promoting Pawn Sacrifice, which is all about Bobby Fischer. Uh, I played competitive I chess was... in school. I know all about Bobby Fischer. His story is sad and fascinating. <laughs> uh, and so there's there's a couple of good Bobby Fischer documentaries out there. There are. There's a couple that just hit Netflix sort of in time with this that are real good. If you, just, if you want to watch a brilliant mind slowly unravel. And then have opinions illness. on the Jews. Yeah. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was <laughs> Katie yes. laughed. It's fine. A- anyway, uh, he's promoting Pawn. They're promoting Pawn Sacrifice in theaters Wednesday, September 16th. And I think he did a pretty good job not geeking out on Tobey Maguire too much about Spider-Man. Bled through just a little bit. You got so a little I apologize, bit. but I, I feel like I was able to rein it back in. I did my best. You didn't were... point and scream, Spider-Man, when he walked in. No, I did not. So that's I did good. Not. High friendly neighborhoods, but yeah, I didn't dangle upside down in front of him, which I'm sure people do a lot of time to oh, yeah. you know for that to, to, to that old that old that chestnut. chestnut. But uh, anyway, they were great guests, and uh, here we go, the Nerds Podcast number seven thirty one with Ed Zwick and Tobey Maguire. Now entering nerdist.com. I knew you when I was uh, many, many, many years ago. We did know each okay. other many years ago. Uh, Raphael. I love that. I can't believe you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I was going to mention it, and I was I was expecting you to be like, the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was, it was funny, because I was trying to remember her last name. I was like, Lisa, what was it? Yes. Raphael, yeah. Lisa Raphael, yeah. It was uh, when I was like 22. Lisa was probably 19, and she was in a friend group. With it was like it was Toby and like Leo and Jay Ferguson and yeah. Kevin Connolly yeah, and that is like that, this, that, that is that group. <laughs> yeah, exactly. we're, yeah. the, we're the same crew. <laughs> Still, yeah. that's yeah. awesome. I yeah. see Jay Ferguson every once in a while, and uh, it's just it, yeah. it's great to see. It's just really nice to see like everyone went off and actually yeah. had a yeah. did some great yeah. stuff. Yeah, but I haven't talked to Lisa in ages. I, oh, I, really? I heard yeah. she's married, and I think she has a kid. But it's been you know wow. it's been years. Uh, so good job on everything working out. I mean, it seems <laughs> like I feel like this this acting thing is working out quite well yeah, for you I at this think point. The so some, some some ups and downs. But, uh. <laughs> and you and then the other thing that I'll say is uh, my very first paid gig was an episode of Thirty Something. Come on, I was a delivery boy and I had like one line, but it was the episode right after well, Gary well, died. Well, well, guess what? What? Brad Pitt's first thing was had one line in an episode, so you're in good company. Well, I'm not sure we're still on the same really? track. Oh, yeah. I, th- I thought maybe that was sort of inevitable. It's very close. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, it's like the difference between human and chimpanzee DNA. It's like 99.98%, <laughs> but, but a little more in Brad's favor. Love that. At right that after point. Gary died. Wow. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so they were, they were, and then Ken, Ken Olin's character was cleaning out all the... Mm-hmm. I watched the show. I remember okay. how it went. Okay. But um, I, I'm actually, I know you guys are doing press, you might be in press junket mode. This is a very loose conversation. There's no... Hey, hey, we, I mean, I, I really dig what, what you guys do here. I really do. Oh, I, you do? I actually listen to it. So oh, you I, do? I do. So you totally know? Yeah, I do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm very happy to hear that. I do, however, I am so blown away that you did a movie about Bobby Fischer. <laughs> uh, I was a lifelong chess player. I Ooh. grew up chess club. Fisher Spatsky was always a big deal, uh-huh. and uh, this story is—is is, is, does it all around just the events of the of the match, or does it follow? Like, does it go later into his life where he completely flies off the handle? Oh, uh, it, well, it it describes the childhood and then jumps mostly to Reykjavik, but we also um, talk about uh, as a kind of denouement what happened to him, right? And so, so the seeds of the demise are contained within the drama that's you know there. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's this sort of, there's always this sort of interesting point with him, which is how, and something that I'm actually really fascinated by is how closely tied is genius to essentially mental illness, you know, that they, they seem to be inextricably linked because they, you know, when you sort of look at all the, all the, a lot of the really great grandmasters, a lot of them didn't end up doing too well. Uh, mentally, do you think there's a connection between those two? Do you think there's a causality? Is it too much chess sort of breeds that, or do you think a certain personality type um, 
is attracted to it. You want to go with that one? I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think that it's, it's actually linked. Um, uh, I think that, and I think see, we've had many conversations about it and in particular about Bobby Fischer and we have touched on some of the other uh, chess players, but um, see, we, we could get in a, a, a debate and I could switch sides of the debate <laughs> um, about, um, about whether chess actually sort of, uh, uh, you know, held off Bobby Fischer's um, sort of, you know, mental health demise because he, it kept him occupied. That's he true. was occupied for, you know, many, many hours every day and focused on a goal. I think as he got close to this world championship and sometimes when he went to go face competitors, uh, you know, I think he was extremely competitive, really wanted to win. I think he had a, a fear of losing, but also a fear of winning. Um, and if you look at what happens is after the world championship, um, you know, it's a pretty quick and steep descent for yeah. Bobby. Um, so, so to me, it was sort of like there was there was nothing left, and he didn't have that same preoccupation. Mm. So, I could argue that side, but I could flip on the other side as well of the argument. So, um, I, I don't I don't have a conclusion. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think somebody once said that every man has has his addiction, but some choose the wrong one. Right. And and I think it's not entirely clear whether he chose chess or it chose him because he was so gifted in this thing that that he was fated to to follow this particular pursuit that inevitably led you into this utterly introspected introspective isolated self-contained universe. And if I think if you have other mental issues as he as he did I think there was maybe some kind of of um, resonance back and forth, like gasoline and matches. Sure, that 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 maybe conspired to be synergistic in that way. I mean, his his childhood was really fucked up. It was big he time fucked it's up. Like he didn't know who his dad was, or yeah. he thought his dad was one person, and then it turned out it was another guy, and his but, mom. Was, but in fact, he knew the guy was his dad, but didn't know he was his didn't dad. Didn't know he was his I dad know, until yeah. he was like nine. Yeah. And his mom was. Yeah. And his mom was a, an activist, and the CIA had a big file on her. But every time you, they would interview her, you'd be like, she seems a little, I don't know. It didn't really feel like a super warm household uh, to grow up in. Yeah, I think and I, I do think that, that his mother did care about him, but was had other interests and things pulling at her attention. She was an intellectual. She spoke many different languages. She was somehow involved with the Communist Party. Um, and, um, uh, you know, would, would leave Bobby at, you know, a young age in the apartment that the neighbor is next door. Like, you know, I think probably, and I'm speculating to some degree, (laughs) probably made sure the neighbor was next door and knew that Bobby was there, Mm -hmm. but then would leave her nine-year-old kid, which is also, but in that era wasn't as unthinkable as it is today. But I've also known a lot of people who were red diaper babies. And their parents cared a lot about the people, but less about people. What's a red diaper baby? They were the children of communists. Oh, children red of, diaper. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and, right. And they, they believed in... Red diapers. Yeah, they believed in mankind. Sure. But weren't so preoccupied with men. I mean, right. it was, it was, a, it was, right. a, it was a, a, a sense that, that their mission and, and the, the commitment to the saving of the world in at times of dire need was more important than the actual yeah. uh, uh, tending and care of, of of those around them. Well, it was a much bar- it was a much broader, almost like yeah. philosophical socialism, where yeah. it was like, oh, we all for all of. What about your own kid? Well, he's. That's I mean, right. we're all. Yeah. yeah, I know, but your kid's freaking out. <laughs> I, but I have to stop the war. That's all right. right. That's um, right. And then and then with Bobby, I think at at six or seven, he discovers chess and some other games, um, and it was, you know, in my, in my mind, I think we probably are closely aligned on this said that chess was a reprieve for Bobby yeah. like a safe a place that was safe for him and he didn't like games that had any element of chance because you it wasn't as pure there's less control and something could come intervene um, and I think part of that is just strictly competitive it was frustrating like sure. if somebody rolled dice or something like that and then and then it it thwarted your advantage um, 
but he also talked about the purity of essentially the exchange or communication over the chessboard. Right. I mean, it, it's this idea that um, his his home life seemed relatively unstable, but you know, then you can focus on something that you feel like you have complete control over. I, I just remember having to give up competitive chess because it was so. It was driving me crazy. And, and, and kids are really – kids in competitive chess are like – when I look back, I much rather would have been punched in the chest by a jock because at least the bruise heals. But the psychological warfare of sitting across from some fucked up nine-year-old <laughs> who's, try, who's just trying to pierce into your soul and you know analyze. Well, well I mean when I think about um, great athletes and, – and chess is a sport. Um, when you really get to know anybody who, who is at that level – the one uh, constant is mental toughness. Mm-hmm. That ability to retain focus and, and concentration over long, intense periods. And whether that's Michael Jackson in the fourth quarter of a game when you're already exhausted and he's going to raise the level of his game or two tennis players going into the fifth set of a, of a match someplace, that's also what you're talking about sure. in terms of that kind of amazing, amazing capability. I also love the documentaries that I've seen about Bobby Fischer. It's funny when you see the footage because it, it really did represent such an an interesting Cold War era battle between the Soviets and the United States. But seeing old footage of like ABC's Wide World mm-hmm. of Sports, World Chess Championship, yeah. it seems hilarious to me uh, that you know that we were so entrenched in chess that it was being covered. You know, on on regular, they were interrupting television programming to bring you chess coverage, and then saying in other news, Vietnam today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but I mean, I wonder if some of that was also, you know, how much Bobby Fischer, obviously, kind of being in his own universe. Do you think he really took on the weight of, you know, the United States versus the Soviets? I, if, I, I feel like that wouldn't have really meant that much to him. I don't think so. I think Bobby <clears throat> um, was aware of the attention and aware of, to some degree, um, uh, I want to say the, the, the importance put on the match and then used it as leverage to negotiate for better conditions and more money. <laughs> that's that's how I th- that's how I think it played into his his you know consciousness and his tactics moving forward. Yeah, because they were saying um, you know his people who were close to him because he kept stalling the match. No one knew if he was going to show up, and Spassky was in Iceland for like nine days just waiting. Bobby Fischer never showed up. He'd go to the airport, leave, go back, and you know one of his friends said, "I don't think it was a tactic to try to fuck with Spassky. He just literally couldn't." He just kept getting scared. He just uh, yeah, kept I, I think it's a combination of fear and and not. It, it's not that he was negotiating by going to the airport and then leaving. I think he would be genuinely bothered that that something wasn't just the way he wanted it to be. Which I think you know that the, it was his particular way he would process things and and the control he wanted, which is sort of coupled with an underlying you know, kind of fear in terms of the way you function. And then I think he was also afraid of finally meeting the meeting Spassky in that moment as well. Uh, I have to ask you a dumb question and I apologize, but I'm always fascinated by this, which is as a, as an actor, when you are portraying someone who might not be totally stable, (laughs) do you have a weird fear? Like, fuck, what if I discover I'm, I, I'm not stable or what if I can't shake it off? Like, do you, are you able to separate? I've, I've made that discovery. Oh, you have? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stable. No. And you're comfortable with it. No, you know, I, I think mental health is a very interesting topic because it is not, there's not a clear line where, you know, if you're left of the line, you're, you know, considered to have a problem. If you're right of the line, I mean, we we judge this based on our perception of people's behaviors and then we we cluster those behaviors together and then give diagnosis to people right yeah like you you have this disorder or that disorder and to me we're all on the spectrum somewhere somewhere everyone i know i mean like everyone has some type of like oh i'm really anxious or i'm depressed or i'm not this or i'm dissociative or like there's always the stigma of mental illness i think needs to be you know like i think i think we as a culture seem to go you know everyone's everyone's got a little something yeah and so how do we 
you know, how, what, what is normal? Like, what is normal? Well, it's also when you evoked what his childhood was like, I think whatever the currency is of your life as a kid, I don't think that's causal. But as you, if you become obsessive, if you, if you have any kind of disorder, I think the, the, the nomenclature, the, what you seize on, might have to do with what your frame of reference is. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he was surveilled, the fact that there might have been some sort of, uh, sort of incipient paranoic world around him, that's something that you would go back. We all have, it's like comfort food. What are your tastes? What are your, what are, what are your patterns of attraction? It's all formed in some young age. I don't think it makes you marry the person that you marry, sure. but it has had an effect on the girls you've been attracted to uh, throughout your life. Right. Yeah, and, and, and we're conditioned by all of our circumstances, right? So, yeah. so you have your early circumstances, and then you go meet the bigger world, and the bigger world then, then suggests different ways to behave, but... If, in fact, you then don't evolve from there, right? right? And Bobby, I think, was largely shaped in those early years exactly. and didn't move forward, yeah. um, you know, and, and again, partially. So this we could get back into the chess part of this. Which the repetitions is he, and the patterns. Well, yeah, but he also had chess. So as he went to school or, or interface with the larger community where people socialize and change their behaviors and what is normal, Bobby would retreat into chess. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, so in that way, it might have it might have encouraged. Uh, well, helped him not made you know made it possible for him not to confront those issues and socialize and evolve in that way. But also, there is what you're also suggesting though is that there's something regressive in the thing to which he attached at a very young age. So, not surprising that he might hearken back. To some of the feelings and the ambient universe that surrounded that. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I and, and and I wonder, I wonder how aware of himself he was. Because when you look at the Fisher Spassky match, I think it was Game Six. He throws out this entirely weird new. It, it, he was very. His openings were very predictable. Like he did the same thing time and time again. People always knew. And then all of a sudden. At a brilliantly strategic time, he throws Spassky totally off balance by opening with this with this other, I think, kind of obscure British opening that he never did, and it Spassky didn't know how to deal with it because they expected him to do the same thing every time. Yeah, and it it, it seems to me Bobby, you know, was was uh, strategic as far as the game goes, and likely um, worked on that opening and that sequence knowing that they would not have prepared for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's a a smart guy and (laughs) knows how predictable he is. And that's, I think it's probably a ton of work to go work on in a direction that you haven't worked in before, but he was not afraid of working. Did anyone... Did, did anyone ever? I'm sure there must be documentaries about Spassky, but going back to Russia after losing, after forfeiting the last match. I mean, do you? Is, well, is it, what was that guy's? What was that poor guy's life like? Well, after that? well, I mean, first of all, it's it's very interesting in that when um, the Soviet Union broke up, he chose actually to come to the West. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a wife and family back there, so it was inevitable that he would go back. Um, they were very afraid that you know of defection, but he was not about to. Uh, I don't know what happened to him literally upon his return. He continued to play chess, and he actually was in this remarkable uh, kind of generosity of one sportsman to another, continued to be very good to Bobby Fischer, even in his decline. Right. Yeah, because Gary uh, Gary Kasparov Kasparov. also came over. Yeah. He he now, he lives in the States. Yeah. He's a big human rights advocate. And, uh, And so it's interesting to see, like, some of those guys got out of a situation that seemed maybe not great mm-hmm. for them um especially when so much of you know so much of your regime's identity is based upon whether or not you're going to you're going to beat someone well, at chess well, well toby already described bobby i think correctly as being somewhat of of the, re- the reluctant gladiator and i think spasky was similar i think these were two great sportsmen who looked upon this as an opportunity for their personal um ambition and 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 the sport but not as sort of representative, uh, you know, out for the ideologies of their respective countries. Did you talk to any of the, the guys who are currently playing, like Magnus Carlsen or anyone? Did you were, did you have any conversations with any chess dudes? Uh, you know, we're hoping to meet him. Actually, we're going to meet him next week. I think. Oh, you are? Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. yeah. 
Now we can watch firsthand to see how he holds up over the years. Like, <laughs> yeah. Keep an eye on him. That's right. To see how he's doing. I, I'm I'm really interested to hear how. So you know, we were barely kind of acquaintance when we were essentially teenagers. And then, how did you? <laughs> How did you survive the valley? You know, like, how did you... (laughs) It can be very... It can be a toxic place with a toxic... I don't mean, you know, like, the the physical valley, but I just mean the sort of mentality of, like, you know... Actor kid, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways that could have gone. Yeah. So how did you stay focused and what started, you know, like, what really helped you find your path? (laughs) <laughs> That's a good question. I'm not sure. I, I, um, you know, just put one foot in front of the other and 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 kept moving forward. Have good friends, and uh, I always wanted to work. Though I, I like I like to work, and if um, uh, I don't know, distractions would get too distracting, then I would get rid of them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's no. I don't have any. You know. Secret, uh, secret ingredients for that. Just, just go forward. I think that is actually a pretty good ingredient. I mean, it might seem not like to you. It's what you did, so you might not think right. that's it. But honestly, like you know, having clear goals and staying on your path and, yeah. and not getting too distracted. I think, I think that actually is really. How about yourself? How did I get out of it? I didn't for a while. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I I had to. I I got sober like twelve years ago, but I I, I did that too. Oh, you did. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Trem- that, that was there too. Tremendously helpful. <laughs> right, yeah. Tremendously helpful. Yeah. And I don't think. Do you ever sometime? How long has it been for you? Uh, twenty years. Twenty years. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Do you ever think back on what the alternate universe Toby Maguire is doing? Like sometimes I have weird <laughs> dreams about like, oh my god, that that other Chris Hardwick is fucking dead somewhere on a, on a beach. Like, yeah. do you ever? It, 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 it's it, I've definitely pondered it, and it's um, you know I've also had throughout the years, as I'm sure you have too, where you have friends that you were very much doing similar things and. Uh, you know, you got out and they didn't. And and I've watched uh, a handful of people that I was, you know, friends or or friendly with die or or have really rough lives. Yeah. I uh, and I think that's why I'm always do do people ever do you ever have friends who reach out and go, hey, man, I'm kind of thinking and about quitting and it seems like it worked for you. I mean, do you have on occasion? Yeah, on occasion. I kind of like those experiences because I feel like then I feel like all the fucking up was was not for no reason that it actually that someone else can benefit from the was there was there just a general feeling of oh I should probably get my life on track and focus was that ultimately what it was for you um <clears throat> yeah I mean I had some experiences uh that that were you know shouting to me pretty loudly <laughs> Um, but I was, I was 19 when I got sober Wow! and there was a general sense of, I want to, I want to be productive. I want to go towards my goals. I want to live a, a great life for myself. Um, and, and I keep getting derailed and I'm self-destructive to a degree. Uh, and it's, it's frustrating and I'm don't want to just be stuck. I want to move forward. Yeah. That was the general feeling. I think it's great. And I think it's so impressive that at 19, you made that decision. I, it took me, I was like 31 by the time I had to go through all my twenties before I was like, Oh yeah, don't, don't do this. Don't do this anymore. Um, one of the things I think is so remarkable about what you do, Ed, is the sort of back and forth between television and film Mm -hmm. is it do they both scratch a different itch for you it's like i kind of like yeah i mean i think at an early moment that was considered odd i think now it's become the norm i think uh what's interesting is that for me it was um you know do you like dogs or do you like cats and the answer is i really like them both you like both yeah and and i think there was an opportunity in television because it was such a writer's medium at the time um, as movies increasingly became less of that, um, to really go deeper into behavior and character and dialogue, some of the things that I, I really love, as movies became louder and brighter and you know bigger and faster, that that I think that there was an opportunity to look at um, 
what was epic in a, a small life and indeed in movies what was small in more epic lives. So I think it was sort of this odd um, kind of vibration back and forth between the two things. Uh, they, they, they each expressed aspects of, of who I wanted to be as, as a storyteller, but also maybe who I was as a person. Sure. Have you ever thought about does television ever because television is basically like the new indie film in a weird sort of way? Have you ever thought about finding a good series? Yeah, I'm I'm um, I'm developing some things now in in film and TV, and I, you know I just like good storytelling and um, you know wherever the the collaborators I'm excited to work with are going. Uh, the only thing for me is. Uh, because a lot of production is outside of LA, I think it would be difficult for me to sign up for something that had the potential of going, uh, you know, for uh, multiple number of sure. years. Be- well, because of you've got LA. young kids. Yeah, because I have and, kids. And I was lucky enough at the time to be raising kids here when production was here. Oh yeah. So that so that actually for me, making movies was um, not just a, a, a way to be home and coach soccer and drive carpool. But it also was a way to then try to have the time to develop the movies that I really wanted to make and not sure. to have to take a job. And in the most practical sense, it provided cash flow. Right. I was able to live from one movie to the next, which were very difficult to accomplish. And so it was a bit of a business plan as well. Do you, uh, it, how, how old are your kids now? Eight and six. Oh, wow. Does, it, does that happen when you have kids? Did you think you would ever want to have kids? And when you had them, did the magical thing happen where you're like, I can't believe... I never thought about doing this before. Or did you always want a family? I, I always had a sense that I would have kids and that I would have a family. Um, I, I had my first child when I was 31, which was a, a little earlier than I had been thinking previously. Uh, but, of course, it's fantastic. And, you know, they're, they're the best things that I've, I've done or been a part of. Uh, and it's really challenging, and and within the challenge, it's it is a lot of reward as well. Yeah. Per- personally, I mean, other than them, and they're phenomenal. But I mean, for myself, the the demands it puts on you as a person, um, which again is is difficult. But but it's um, it's such an opportunity to, you know, grow. Yeah. Have you shown them Spider Man yet? Um, would you show them your work, like, or are you yeah, like? I, I would, and w- one of my kids watched a little bit of it and didn't want to watch it because it was a little scary for them. Oh, I would imagine if they did, they not. They, um, well, I don't. They don't. They don't love violence in movies. Sure. So, um, and you know, those movies have some violence. So, yeah. Um, they just don't like watching that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and they know it's they know about movie making and I talk to them about, you know, how it gets made and what it is, but it just it's it's I mean I actually like it cuz I don't I'd rather them not watch that stuff right now and kind sure. of keep the innocence and and look at it in a little more of a realistic sense, but um but I do explain what's actually happening as well. They understand that you're pretending to be other people and that it's not real and it's yeah, not really you. Yeah, but just their impression, their like emotional reaction and their impression of it is too strong. So I guess that's true. I never, I mean, because that was one of the that was one of the movies that completely changed everything in sort in, in nerd culture and and brought it out from being this sort of niche thing to true. you know Spider-Man and X-Men were the two movies that really like oh these are viable genres that can be told really beautifully and be really cool and and I don't think of that movie as being violent or scary but I guess if you're 6 or 8 Willem Dafoe got like that's I guess that would be pretty horrifying if you if you yeah. were a kid yeah but uh at the time did you realize that you were sort of helping to bring what had previously in the nineties, not an amazing, not an amazing genre into the forefront. Well, I wasn't on its surface. I didn't, I wasn't interested in the project at first because of what you're talking about, because of the sort of perception of the genre and where that had been mostly historically. If there are, there are, you know, I think the, the Superman movies, uh, I think particularly one and two, I really enjoyed yeah. and thought they were very well done. And, uh, you know, uh, Richard Donner is a, 
very talented director and Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder. And, you know, there's good people and there are good stories and I enjoy those movies. So uh, it existed before, but but the current trend was not towards I – don't, I don't want to say not trying to make good movies because I think mostly people are trying to make good movies, but it just wasn't, wasn't what was happening. I think you also have to, to think about Alvin. Right. Oh, and, and no. Laura and these extraordinary artists but that's why to apply I, themselves yeah, to that's it. Yeah, that's why I did it because yeah. once I started meeting the people who were involved uh, – on the first script was David Kep and then Alvin Sargent wrote the second right. movie. Um, and um, and Laura Ziskin, the producer, and Sam Raimi. When I started talking to them about what they wanted to do with the film, uh, that's when I got excited and ultimately uh, joined joined up with them to make it because they wanted to make – uh, you know, a, a character-based movie that was about that and and the kind of superhero um, action sequences were really coming out of character. Yeah, um, that was the aim, anyways. I I remember. I mean, I remember when that movie came out, and people were like, "Wow, Tobey Maguire, he's like a serious actor." And I would, I said to people like. I, I know, but I knew him when he was a kid, and he's totally this guy. And if I rem- didn't, you used to have like glasses. Didn't you used to have like big glasses when you were a kid? <laughs> I, I had, I had. There was, I remember, there was a time when um, I'm trying to think through like what I what I feel comfortable saying and not saying. But but <laughs> w- I was going somewhere that was like you know kind of an exclusive sort of place, and you know there's a door person you got to get through and. And I was with a friend who was bringing me, and um, I was wearing this old ratty pink T-shirt with holes, sweatpants, <laughs> glasses with tape on the side, and 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 I was a stoner kid. Yeah. And and I also had an attitude of like, well, if they don't accept me for who I am, right. then I'm not gonna go in there. Um, and I had my friends begging me, like, please, just like put on some somewhat presentable clothes because because it just becomes my problem because i have to talk them into letting you in um uh, and i go you know i I just didn't think it was right to not allow me in because of what i decided to wear yeah (laughs) why don't they get you man yeah so you're not going to accept me fuck you i remember also early days in the business when I started getting in, invited to, um, you know, do photo shoots or premieres or different kinds of events. And I remember thinking, like, if I ever go to the Oscars, I'm going to wear shorts and no makeup. And if I got zits, then fuck them. Right? And then you start seeing all these, like, good-looking people on the cover of magazines. And you go, wow, I'm really going to stand out. Yeah, and also, as much as you're like, well, this is just how I am, you also don't want that to be your complete identity. You would be that guy. Like, oh, here comes Tom McGuire. And the fu- get it, the fucking holes in the shirts. Right. Every time. But I, I really, um, you know, I, I'm sure you hear about it a lot because, you know, obviously it was, those movies were so huge. But but your Peter Parker was such a great, you were so grounded and 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 not not aware. Like, you were not aware that you were playing a superhero. You were just a... You're so you were perfect. You were just so great, and I hope you I hope you appreciate thank you the impact that those movies had and that character. Even though they've they keep rebooting them for licensing reasons, but I I, I really I, I do think I don't care how many fucking Brits try to come over here and take that crown, uh, but I really do hope that you realize that to a huge multi generational sector of our culture, you are the definitive Peter Parker. And I, I hope you, I hope you understand that. Thank you. It was fun to fun to do them. In addition to, you know, when you got past that, um, was it scary at all, or nerve wracking, or oh, I can't wait to go do other stuff. I just want to, I want to be able to go do other stuff. Yeah, they were very time consuming in in the making of them and the prep and the promoting. So over something like a nine year period, I was only able to do i think two other films outside Jesus. of those movies um something like that i you know i have to go back and count on my fingers but um yeah i think i did sea biscuit and the good german in between uh you know one and two and then two and three um so yeah i was pretty i was itching to to have more opportunities to go do other things uh i had a blast and it was a great 
a great team, but again, it's just so time consuming. Sure. How how's your how's your process changed now when you're picking roles versus you know when you first started? Out? I would say it's 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 mostly a feel thing, and I think that that's that's been the same for me throughout my whole career. I mean, there are things where I'm um, you know considering uh, who it is that. I, you know, do I want to work with the team involved in this? Do I like the story? But it, it really just adds up to a feel thing, you know, even, even in, in those sort of, um, uh, that, that sort of analysis, like, do I appreciate the movies that person makes, what they're about? Um, do I like this story, this character? Do I ultimately feel compelled to go work on it? Yeah. Did you guys know each other before you started working on this? Oh, you know, I think peripherally, I think, cause I, I think, we really met through Leo yeah. when I was making Blood Diamond, yeah. and I knew, I knew what good friends they were, and, and, and Leo would often talk about um, his childhood, and he would talk about Toby. He would talk about him very fondly, but also very comically, <laughs> and, and <laughs> as you can imagine. And, and, uh, but, you know, that means a lot that, that um, when you connect with someone and they really talk about someone with as much fondness and... and, and um, great love that with which he, he spoke about Toby I, I somehow intuitively understood that this was a a good person and a serious person and an artist and and the funny thing is that those recommendations as you're hoping to work with whether it's a DP or a designer um, you, there is you know that kind of honor among thieves we do talk to each other trying to ask about people because it's a very close and intimate and high stakes relationship that you're going into. You're, you're, you're putting your trust in someone that you don't necessarily know. Sure. And, and you want the experience to be of a certain kind, not just in terms of its execution, which is most important, but also it's, it's, it's process. Right. Uh, Cause this, this is your life. And as Toby's describing nine years, that defines your life. You're spending more time there than you are with your family or in your home. And so you're saying to yourself, well, what will the nature of my experience be? Right. So when when there was the the possibility of us working together, that was in my mind. It was didn't cause it, but I think it informed something for me. Yeah, it is. It is important. I think uh, I don't, because it doesn't matter how successful or famous or anything. If you're a dick, sooner or later, people are not going to work with you if they don't have oh, to. And believe me, there's a rap. There there there's a just a kind of way that people refer to someone in this code in which you know you want to run screaming in the other direction because with me it's usually defined by a certain lack of gratitude. Sure. That there are those people who just, for whatever reason, are in some kind of pain or, or, or deprivation and they want to act that out um, in some public circumstance because the movie business will give you license to misbehave. Yes. And, and, and there's nobody who's regulating that or governing it. And if you find yourself in a situation with somebody who's abusing it, it's very painful. Yeah, you're right. It is. It is. Yes, it's definitely enabled in this business. But I feel like it it can't last for too too. I mean, maybe in maybe in a couple of cases, but I feel like it can't last. Right. For too, it's all too it's long. all it's all tied to to dollars and cents. You right. Know, if if they're if they're the driver of uh, vehicles that are making lots of money. Um, unfortunately, it, it, nobody will, or not nobody. I mean, maybe there's an individual, but but by and large, they'll go unchecked. Yeah, and and that, in a way, is is encouraging that behavior. Then they <laughs> then it starts to tie into them, I think. And obviously, I'm speaking generally, but they might start thinking that's part of their secret sauce for success. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah, because people make associations. Yeah. Right. But also, you know, I mean, there are enough. There are enough hurdles that life will throw at you. Why create more right. when and, everyone's just when and, everyone's coming together? And, just trying and to make there something. is there is a karmic wheel. Sure, <laughs> I do. I, I do believe that it turns, and we've been around long enough to see it turn. You've seen it turn a I few have, times, yeah. I have. And interestingly, it sort of dovetails back into Bobby Fischer <laughs> and just that story. You know, there, there's a there's a there's a great story about. I think maybe it was game two or game no, it was game three. Against Baskin, because I think Fisher forfeited game two. Yeah. Uh, just didn't show up. And, you know, he kept, oh, I don't want these cameras. Or I want to go in this other room, and I want to be hidden, and you guys are trying to spy on me, and I don't like this, and then there's too much noise. And 
And there was one point where he and where Spassky was finally just like, fuck, I give up. I don't know. And I think the this arbiter, this Icelandic guy, just put his hands on them and just like sat them down and be like, play. You know, just <laughs> yeah. fucking play already. You yeah. know? So it's yeah. it's getting around all that and That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> Your job is to push everyone down and go, just play. Right. Pretty close. This is the thing you like to do. Remember this yeah. is the thing you want to do. Yeah. But I think it's um I always I, I always talk about this idea of I think this business uh, exploits people's insecurities, but I think it also attracts a certain type of personality that might be a little more prone to being insecure because as performers and artists, you're, we're naturally sensitive people because you would have to be in order to absorb and then re-express things into the world, right? Mm-hmm. So h- how, do you, how, do you guys, how do you balance those things? Well, I mean, oh, you you do want to take advantage of someone's sensitivity because that's their instrument. Sure. Um, and so I, I like to think that, that if I have any job at all, it's trying to create some atmosphere of safety in, in which it's, it's allowed that you, that you know you can go out on a limb or you can be someplace where you're not being judged, but rather you're, allowed to just be because i think only if you have a kind of relaxation that comes from feeling safe can you actually then do the work yeah um on the other hand on the other hand the idea that that we are all seeking to fill some you know ache or hole that that we think will be filled by the embrace of you know, uh, strangers <laughs> is so messed up, and, and 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 we're all somehow conspiring together to 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 have that that fiction that that we're going to get this thing that we need from this process is dead wrong. Yeah, yeah. Do you do? You, I would assume you would agree. It's always with very it. strange when you're working with somebody who seems like perfectly well adjusted, <laughs> has great boundaries. Like you're, you're going like, this is odd, and, and you're talented too. <laughs> what's your deal? Uh, yeah, what's your deal? I don't know. Um, it's it's interesting. I, I had like visual images of of you know people all fleeing their hometowns to come <laughs> join the circus of of our business, and and me going like, oh yay, my people, you know, um, and then. And then these odd things that we do, whether it's, um, you know, through, I don't know, exercises, class, scripted stuff where we're playing with with ideas and stories where it's all make believe. I mean, we're just playing at this stuff and promiscuous. Sure. The idea that fantasy and the the, 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 the sort of contingency of lives that you're going to live another life, either in a character or in a moment, a chapter in another town with a group of people whom who whom you didn't know until that moment and may never see again. Sure, mm-hmm. um, that that is is actually um, a kind of um, it, it would it would appeal to a very particular group of people. Absolutely, <laughs> um, uh, and and uh, so, so, not exactly continuing on that, but but still in the same area. I just think about. Um, you know, a successful rehearsal on some really, really dramatic piece where, you know, we're sitting there and going to the depths of something and howling at the moon or, or you know, going back and forth and afterwards, like, high-fiving each other. Like, what, what a strange exercise. <laughs> Who else does that? <laughs> right? Put on the sad music. Let's go. But it's so, you know, just... Here, you know, I, I imagine to a degree this happens with, with acting, but just, you know, knowing that Bobby Fischer would sit over a board, play himself, play every, you know, in a chess game, there are, I think, probably more possible combinations of moves than there are atoms in the universe. And right. so I used to think that being introspective and being in your own head meant, oh, you have depth and you're smart and you're better. And now I think, you know, I, I think it's better sometimes to put that away and connect with the rest of the world because I think your brain doesn't make the distinction between reality and just observation. So in your head, if you're just in your own head the whole time, I think your brain can start creeping into areas that are not necessarily real, but your brain doesn't know the difference. So how do you, just as we're sort of wrapping this up, how do you guys unplug? Well, I mean, those of us who, you know, 
think that 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 um, if you, let me start again. If you if your life is about trying to compress reality and you start to believe that the only thing interesting is life with all the boring bits edited out, you're headed down a very dangerous road. And I think at the beginning of, of, of my career or a lot of our careers, we start to um, uh, endow the experience with much too much importance. But as you get older, if you're lucky enough to connect to friends and family and have other things that validate you, you can approach the work with more detachment. It's a certain kind of Zen detachment. You don't work any less hard, but I don't think your entire self-regard and your entire self-worth is caught up sure. in this it's success or failure. And I think that's the, 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 the hope of how to try to um, have that sort of um, duality in your life. Did having kids help you with that? Uh, yeah, I think I think just to that same point, the the sort of f- f- fuller and more balanced life. I mean, I'm always you know trying to figure that out and make adjustments to that, and also um, uh, you know give give the proper amount of work and attention to the project in front of me. Uh, which there is, I do think there's a. I, I mean, I'm I don't have a, any particular concern about. Um, carrying it with me. I mean, the thing about Bobby Fischer, of course, is he's doing that day after day, week after week, year after year after year after year, right. where I work on a project for a number of months or maybe a year or two, um, but but only really intensely for maybe nine months. Um, uh, and then I am unplugging. So I, I'm not I'm not like fully immersed in any one thing for long enough that I I feel there's a, any danger there. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I know you guys have other chats that you have to have today. So I hope the I hope the junket day is kind to you. Uh, and I I'm curious. What are you? What is your like most? What are your most asked questions? Um. Like when you, what, when you sit what, down and they're like, yeah. whoa, okay, you need to like again? Uh, you know, how good am I at chess? Did I get better? Why <laughs> did I want to play Bobby Fischer? What interests me about the story? <laughs> I mean, I, I, they're reasonable enough questions. Okay, they're reasonable. Yeah. But you have the, you got the answer. Sometimes I think the best performance is um, taking place in the room when you have to act as if it's the first time you've been asked that question. Oh, no. yeah. Oh, I, I, it's fun. It's fun to watch. I can't remember who else said that they add, like, uh, oh, that's interesting. Like, they try to add, like, yeah. little things. Oh, that, even though you just got asked, like, 30 right. times. Oh, that, that is a good question. Oh, chess. Oh, yeah. Oh. I guess you would want to know that. Well, uh, fuck you. And then you just, like, rip the mic off and kick the camera over. But uh, it was really nice chatting with you guys. And it's nice to see you. And congratulations. And I'm so glad Thank that. you. You too. I'm so glad that you're, uh, that you're sobriety and choices and one foot in front of the other have led to <laughs> such amazing work and uh, and congratulations thank you, you thanks too. guys it, is this uh, September 18th this comes out 16th in New York and LA and then 18th a lot of other places okay great uh, Pawn Sacrifice great. Ed Zwick Toby McGuire enjoy your burrito everyone <laughs> that's how we end the show okay okay so, <laughs> I thought you were about to give me a burrito now leaving Nerdist.com Enjoy your burrito. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.